Well, welcome everybody. I want to welcome all of our locations. We're always grateful to have you guys with us. Big shout out to Central Summerlin and Central Southern Highlands, to our Sunrise Mountain family and our Central Kingman family. Also want to say a big welcome uh, to those watching online and those joining us in different prison facilities in our partnership with God Behind Bars. Thank you guys for being with us today. Well, we are wrapping up a teaching series we've been in for the last several weeks called House Rules. And uh, we've been looking at some simple rules to bring a little more peace into our homes. And it's been a lot of fun, and I'm excited to kind of continue that with you today. Uh, I was thinking about when uh, Lori was expecting our first child. And we were getting ready to be parents and kind of thinking about our home and how we wanted to run our home and, you know, the rules that we would have for our home. And we were... Uh, anxious, we were nervous, and we started to go to uh, these parenting seminars. We were trying to get all kinds of help, you know, reading books and taking notes from the experts, you know, figuring it out. And, and I think we kind of actually thought, like, when we have kids, this is going to be awesome because, like, our kids are going to sleep through the night and uh, our kids are going to do what we say. We're never going to have to bribe our kids with chocolate or candy or McDonald's because they're just going to roll along with it. Our kids are not going to watch TV all the time because they're going to engage their mom and they're going to want to read books and they're going to play outside and it's going to be awesome. And then we had kids, right? Our first kid, I remember like, she wasn't down with any of that program, right? And then we had another kid and let's be honest, you start adding some kids into the mix and before long, life just starts to feel a lot more like survival, right? You're just trying to get through the next 20 minutes. You, you, you know you should be parenting for the next 20 years. You're trying to get through the next 20 minutes. So I can remember all of our lofty expectations kind of went out the window, right? I remember like sitting there, you know, you get home at night, you're tired, you're worn out, and your kids have watched too much TV already, but you're exhausted and you have more work to do and they want your time. But you know, if you just put Barney on, the magic box takes over and the kids are like, oh, I used to call it crack for kids. They're like, oh, and they're just there staring at the box, you know? And, it, and so that's what you do to survive, right? I remember never gonna bribe our kids. We're never gonna do it until you're out like getting family pictures made and you know, your kids are throwing an absolute fit when they're old enough to comprehend and understand. I remember pulling my kids aside and saying, hey guys, listen, your mom really wants this. And uh, how would you like McDonald's after this is over? You like McDonald's? Yeah, that'd be, I'll buy you anything you want at McDonald's if you will smile for three pictures. That's all I ask, three pictures. I wish I could tell you that was the only time, but I bribe my kids or in toss, still bribe my kids, you know, whatever it takes. Um, hey, listen to this message. If there's a great message, I'll pay you 20 bucks. You listen to that message, right? Read this book. It's a great book. You read that book. I'll pay you 50 bucks if you'll read that. Hey, whatever it takes, people. I'm just telling you that I went in with all these lofty expectations and I thought it was gonna be easy. And we had all these rules, all these little house rules, things we were gonna do. But once we actually got in it, as we all know, it's way more complicated, right, in reality than it is in theory. And you know, according to all those rules we started out with, I would say that Lori and I are parenting dropouts. We're uh, parenting seminar dropouts like but when you really look at it, you step back. What we've been trying to do over the last several weeks is fly a little higher. Because I think a lot of those rules are really more things that we inherit from our parents or we hear others say, and they may or may not be important, but there are bigger things that are way more important. And in the mess of parenting and family and life, if we can get the bigger things right, everything else often tends to kind of work itself out, right? 
So we've been talking about some of that over the last several weeks. Week one, we said the first house rule was simply this, to put God first in your house and in your family and to make that commitment in your life. We said, look, you can't have a God first life with a secondhand faith. You gotta own your faith for yourself. You gotta personalize it and then pass that on to your family. And so we talked about those dynamics a little bit week one. Week two, uh, Pastor David Hughes gave us a great message about filling our homes with faith, hope, and love. Uh, then my wife, Lori, on Mother's Day, she had a great message about encouragement and bringing encouragement in our homes. And she said, look, if you get your heart right, you can get your home right. You know, it starts with your own heart and, and letting God do a work in your heart and in your life. Last week, we talked a little bit about forgiveness and how important it is to make forgiveness mandatory as a house rule. And, and we said this, look, forgiveness doesn't fix the past, but it does free your future. And we talked about the power of sort of freeing our future by walking in forgiveness. Today, I wanna to talk to you about this final kind of house rule. And it's really like three rules in one, but it's all in one verse in Micah chapter six. And so let me just set Micah six up and then we'll read it together, we'll talk about it. But Micah was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he's basically coming along and he's saying to people, he's like, um, the people are sort of doing, uh, it's moral mayhem is what's happening in that culture at that time. And God's people are engaging in religious activities, but their hearts, according to him, are far from him. They're not really dialed into who God is in their life. They're just going through a lot of the motions. And, um, you know, there's a lot of disobedience that's happened, a lot of junk flying around. And basically Micah uh, starts to throw some questions around. He's like, how can we get back in favor with God? How can we get God's blessing again, moving and working in our life. And he, and he starts asking questions right before Micah 6. He says, like, should we make a huge sacrifice? In other words, should we make a huge financial gift, right? Should we dedicate our firstborn child to God? You know, like what? So these are like big sacrifices. And it's fascinating that he then answers in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, with a very practical, simple response from God about how we can engage his favor in our lives and in our families. Look at this, Micah chapter six, beginning in verse eight. When we get to the red words, I'm just gonna ask you to read those out loud with me as we go along. That's how we keep everybody awake here at Central. All right, here's what it says. It says, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is what? Right. To love what? Mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So we're going to talk today about this house rule. Do good, love mercy, walk humbly. Do good, love mercy, walk humbly. Simple, right? This is what the Lord requires of you. I mean, this is gold. Some of you, you're at church, you're watching online, you're in a prison location, and you got up and you went to the service and you sat down because you're really worried and praying for, God, what do you require of me in my life? You may not word it that way, but that's what's going on in your heart. God, what do you want me to do in this family situation? God, what do you want me to do uh, in this situation with my friend? God, how do I deal with this work situation? God, what do you expect from me? Some of you in your homes, you've been showing love and kindness to people in your home and you feel like they're taking advantage of that and that's not reciprocated and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? How much more do I, do I continue to show love and kindness in this situation? And you're sort of right there, God, what do you require of me? Some of you are graduating and you're already thinking like, God, what do you, what's next? What do you require? What, what, I, what do you want from me in my life? Any of you ever asked that question? God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me in my life? What do you want from me in our family? Micah answers. God answers through Micah. 
What does the Lord require of you? Three simple things. Do good, love mercy, walk humbly. That's it. Do good, love mercy, walk humbly. And I wanna suggest that when you think about your homes, some of you think as parents, if we will do good, love mercy, and walk humbly, we may get a lot of things wrong, <laughs> but we'll get the big things right. So, so let's just break it down a little bit. First principle is just do good. Do good in your life. And uh, that's, that's a powerful principle, I think, uh, I think for all of us. Um, we've got uh, some, just this one kid wrote this little note to her parents, and I think it was uh, pretty powerful. Check it out. Dear parents, it seems you both are a little overly strict tonight. Therefore, I do not wish to read with you tonight. But if you change your attitude, I will be glad to. Good night from Chloe L. Smith. That's what it's like to parent an attorney, right? <laughs> change your attitude, mom and dad. We'll talk, right? We'll, we'll, we'll work that out. You know, it can be a challenge when you think about doing good in a family situation because lots of things fly around in families and it, it, there's, no, there's no doubt that it can be hard. People can get their feelings hurt. I, my daughter just graduated from high school this week. Amazing, our, our oldest. So, by the way, when I graduated from high school, there were no parties, there were no celebrations, there weren't like 47, you know, events that you went to, right? You know, I just walked across a stage. Actually, when I graduated high school, I was, showed up at graduation, I'm sitting there right before graduation, and the vice principal of the high school, this lady, walks past me and she looks down with the most sarcastic, not kind look on her face. She goes, hmm. And she said, I'll never forget it. Mr. Wilhite, I never thought I'd see you here on this day. And then she walked off. And I remember sitting there thinking, I love you too. But graduation was like this one little thing. You just did it and it was, and it was over, right? And, and uh, you know, I think about me and my life. I, uh, I graduated on a Friday. Saturday morning, I woke up, packed my car with all my little stuff hugged my parents goodbye, and left on Saturday morning after Friday night's graduation, moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico to play in a rock band. Now, I'm just telling you, I didn't realize that I was breaking my mother's heart. But that's what was happening in that moment. You know why I know that? Because I woke up the day after my daughter graduated high school and I remember sitting there, people were like, how you doing? I'm like, well, my daughter didn't pack her car up and leave today, so I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty good. <laughs> and then I had this thought, come on, how many of you have had this? Like, you, 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 you think, see, my, both of my parents have passed away, but I'm like, if my parents were still alive, I promise you, the day after my daughter graduated, when I was standing there, I would have picked the phone up and called them and said, you know, I just, I wanna thank you <laughs> and I wanna to apologize to you. I didn't realize what I was doing as a punk kid out of high school, off to play in a band, doing my thing. But as a parent, now I get it. And I've had a lot of those moments and you will too if you haven't already. I remember changing the 500th diaper of my kid's life and then it's suddenly dawning on me, as hard as this is, this is what my parents did for me. 
And I remember going and picking the phone up. I called my mom and she's like, hello. And I'm like, hey, mom, I just, I just want to tell you thank you. And she's like, what, are you sober? What's going on? Right? You know, I'm like, I, I just want to tell you like, hey, uh, I'm changing my 500th diaper and it's dawning on me that you did all this for me. And I just took all that for granted. I didn't understand what was going on there. But you know, through all of that, my parents continued to do good to me. They continue to do good to me even when I wasn't always making the best decisions. <laughs> they continue to be good even when uh, my behavior was sometimes very bad. And I think in the end, it was a big part of why I came back to them. And really when I came back to them, um, I just wanted to do good to them for all the good that they had done to me. Now that's easier said than done. Some of you come from homes where you didn't experience that in your life. You don't have family or family structure that really did a lot of good to you, but this can be your opportunity to create a new day in your family, to break the chain that you inherited and to start over and say, you know what? I'm gonna be good to my kids, even when they're not always good, right? I'm gonna be, I'm gonna do the right thing towards them. And just to realize that a lot of times kids don't understand the dynamics of what they're doing and how it's impacting and affecting things. Some of you today, maybe you're at a place where uh, you're thinking, what, what does it mean to do good? Like in my family, with my friends, with, uh, with my kids. Well, Micah, when he talks about doing good, he actually goes through two specific areas that he really calls out in the context of Micah 6.8 when it comes to doing good. The first one is the area of anger. And he tells, he challenges us to deal with anger. Anger is just emotion, a feeling, but when it, and it, it's not a sin to be angry. It's what you do with that anger, right, that can lead to sin and to all kinds of frustration. When you let that anger boil over, when you let it kind of explode into words that are harsh and damaging to people, when you, um, when, you know, when you start raging and throwing things and yelling and hitting and all of that stuff under the kind of umbrella of rage, Micah's challenging us like, hey, do good, set aside your anger. And one of the ways I've tried to do that as a parent, and one of the ways I think um, we as parents, if you're a parent today, you can sort of make a huge impact on your kids' lives in this area is, listen, when they do something wrong and you're incredibly angry and frustrated, some of you are here today, you don't have kids yet, and you're like, I'm never going to be angry at my kids. Oh, you don't even know what anger is yet, right? What I've learned in my life is, and I've made a lot of mistakes in this area, if I deal with the situation right then, it's going to blow up and be ugly. I have to go away and I have to get my head right. I have to cool down. I, sometimes I have to talk to somebody, an adult, right? <laughs> Get perspective. And then I can come back and deal with the consequence part of things in a rational, calm way. And just that simple idea, if we would do that in our families with brothers and sisters, if we'd do that with aunts and uncles, if we'd do that with mom and dad, if we would just do that, can you think about the difference it could make in a home? Just ramping up peace and turning down drama. The Bible says a, a calm answer, uh, a calm answer, a calm response um, diffuses anger. I mean, I saw that years ago. I'll never forget. I, 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 I was driving in Southern California when we lived there, and uh, I pulled into our little neighborhood, and I pulled into our little condo lot driveway thing and got out, and I walked across to the mailbox, and I stuck my key in the mailbox, and this guy pulls up on this huge Harley, 
and he's just angry. He's just blood-faced, mad, red. He gets off that Harley. He gets right up in my face. I think the guy's just about to beat me down, right? And apparently I'd cut him off, which, you know, look, I, I'm sensitive to motorcyclists and uh, my brother is a huge motorcycle enthusiast for a long time. And so, I, you know, I, I, he always would teach me and I'm, I always keep my eyes out for people on motorcycles because I know it's a big deal. So apparently I just didn't even see the guy, right? He's angry, he's raging, he's, go, he's calling me every name in the book. He's just, I mean, I'm like, it's going down right here. But I'll never forget when he was done. And I can't tell you, I thought about this, that, conscientiously in the moment. It's just how I handled it. But I look back now and I see it. I just looked up at this guy and I said, you know, I'm very sorry. I did not do that intentionally. Just, in, just like this with my voice. I'm really sorry that that, that, that occurred. And I, I wish there was something I could do to make it right. And this guy just sat there and looked at me. I could see his heart beating through his bulging neck vein, you know. It's like he didn't know what to do. He said, well, you drive with more awareness next time. I said, I will. And he got on his bike and kind of looked at me again and just drove off. Calm answer turns away wrath. Calm answer turns away wrath. So in our families, in our families, I don't always get this right. You know, if you're passionate, right? You're a passionate person. You're loud. You're, I get all that. Sometimes we don't get this right, but... But man, we got to deal with our anger when it comes to how we process things within our family. The other thing Micah talks about is, is uh, deception and lying. And he really challenges us to um, not kind of allow our, ourselves to go down the road of lying. I mean, sometimes we think if we just lie in a family situation, it'll just make things easier. If we lie, it'll just get us wherever we need to go quicker. But the challenge we all know is, you know, one lie leads to another lie, which leads to another lie, which leads to another lie. And, you know, they've done psychological studies on people that lie. And they found that those people are way more exhausted emotionally than people who tell the truth. It's hard to keep all the stories straight at some point. You know, and it's simple. You don't have to wonder about what you told this person and what you told that person if you just tell the truth. When you think about your family situation, I always, when it comes to family, I think it's very important at least for me, this is something I've always done to kind of under promise and over deliver in my family. I don't want anybody to think I was being deceptive or throwing something out that was never going to happen. I don't want to make big promises that never get delivered on, right? Because little promises that get delivered on can build big trust. Little promises that get delivered on can build big trust, but big promises that don't get delivered on can destroy trust in your life, right? So Micah says, listen, do good. What are we, what's, what's he saying in the context? He's saying, look, control your anger, how you deal with your anger. Control your, uh, your, your tongue, what you say, and how you manage deception in your life and with uh, your kids. And if you're honest and straightforward, if you try to deal with your anger, that's going to get you way down the road in doing good. Do good, love mercy, walk humbly. The second one is to love mercy, to love mercy mercy. Let's go to uh, uh, that point. Let's go ahead and skip to that, bring it up here. Um, okay, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Here's what it says. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we what? Don't give up. 
if we don't give up. He's saying, listen, don't quit, don't give up, keep doing good, keep loving mercy, don't check out. Listen, other people may write you off, your brother-in-law may be giving you all kinds of a hard time, your aunt or uncle may be deceptive in the way they're interacting with your family, your kids and grandkids may be breaking your heart and destroying things, but he's saying, don't quit. Right? Don't give up. Don't give up just because it's hard. Don't give up just because it's difficult. Don't give up just because they're being hard. You keep doing good. You keep loving mercy. You keep following God in that way, and it will make an impact. In fact, um, there were uh, some notes that uh, these parents posted about their conversations with their kids, and I just want to share a few of these with you because, you know, kids need mercy. They say things that uh, can be pretty harsh. Uh, five-year-old says this, uh, one more question before I go to bed. Uh, me, what? Five-year-old, what are the lines on your forehead for? Me, silence. <laughs> five-year-old, now they look angry. Now they look angry. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, Ten-year-old, mom, what's a metaphor? <laughs> Me, my life is a train wreck. Ten-year-old, I know, mom, but what is a metaphor? <laughs> a lot of truth to that. All right, here's one more. Dad says, come on, you guys are late. Eleven-year-old says, you should have started yelling at us earlier. <laughs> the truth is, kids need a lot of mercy, and parents need a lot of mercy. I was driving with my daughter recently, and we came up to a light that... Um, had turned yellow. And how many of you, if the light turns yellow, stop at the light? How many of you are, you stop? Look at all these law-abiding, wonderful citizens in church. How many of you hit the gas as hard as you can? Yeah. That's why you go to Central, because that's exactly what I do. You know, like, as soon as that light hits yellow, I'm like, oh man, we can make it, we can make it! You know, like, I blew through that light, it turned red, right? You know, a little too soon, you know? And my daughter looked over at me with those eyes of like, what are you doing? And I'm like, do not do what I just did. When you come to the yellow light, you stop, young lady. That's what you do. And uh, we went on down the road. But she actually told me, she said, you know, one of the things you've said a lot in my life is don't do what I just did, right? Don't, don't do what I do but do what I say. We all do that as parents. I mean, some of you are high and mighty right now because you're young in it, but you will. <laughs> right, you, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll all eventually start, we'll, we'll break, we'll have our moments. But um, when you think about it, with the little things, doesn't matter. But with the bigger things, we gotta be careful. There's an old cliche, I think there's a lot of truth to it. It says your kids will become who you are more than they will become what you say. So there's a lot of things we may say, and our kids are very intelligent. They can see through a lot of that stuff. And with all of our faults as individuals, parents, grandparents, people, our hope is that our kids will see who we are and who we're becoming, and that that will make a tremendous impact on their life. And if you love mercy, it has a way of coming back around and bringing mercy to you. Look at Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse seven. It says, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be what? Shown mercy. You show mercy, mercy will come back to you. So show mercy in your, do good and show mercy. 
And as you show mercy, uh, I think one of the ways we can do that is to remember, look, sometimes when our kids are acting like kids, <laughs> uh, we, we over-discipline in those moments. We get really frustrated with them in those moments. But we gotta remind ourselves, I always say it to myself this way, look, I want this kid to act this way, but God has wired them at two years old to act this way. So now I'm messing with God. Like you're telling an infant to do something and God's telling them to do something else. That's why people are always like, you know, do you get bothered if there's kids and little kids in church moving around and all that? I'm like, hey, that's why we have age appropriate environments across all of our locations. Take your kids to those age appropriate environments. That would be awesome. Yes. But I will say, people say like, does that bother you? I'm like, no, it's, kids are gonna be kids. I don't get mad. I don't get upset at the kid. The kid's gonna be a kid, right? You know, um, and so you ask a kid to sit there for 30 minutes, and listen to some guy talk. That's what you're going to get. Um, but in the relationship between a parent and a child, we have to keep reminding ourselves that we are the parent and we need to act like the parent. Somebody needs to be the adult. I never forget my son, my wife shared this, but he's done it with me too. If I ever raise my voice even a little bit with my son, he'd say, dad, super calm all the time. Dad, you're raising your voice. There's no need to raise your voice. But you know, he makes a good point. Like somebody needs to be the parent. <laughs> and sometimes it's my 15 year old who's being the parent. And I need to be called on, I need to be checked by that. You know, I'm like, okay, that's right. That's a good point. Um, but when you show mercy and you try to be the adult in a family relationship, I think it can be really, really powerful. So just do, so what does the Lord require of you as a family member, as a brother, as a sister, as a mom, as a dad? What does the Lord expect of you? Simply this, just do good and keep doing good. Don't give up and don't stop doing good. Just love mercy. Keep loving mercy. Keep showing mercy. Mercy will come back to you. And then thirdly, walk humbly. Just walk humbly in your life. I mean, having kids will humble you. <laughs> Being part of a family will humble you. I love what Jim Gaffigan said. We're going to bring this uh, quote up on the screens. Jim Gaffigan. Um, let's go ahead. Jim Gaffigan, the next slide, not James 410, but the one after that. Yep. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it didn't make it. Jim Gaffigan said, look, he said, I don't know what's harder when it comes to being a parent, you know, staying up uh, uh, all night with your kids or pretending that you know what you're doing. I think there's a lot of truth to that when you become a parent. It's frustrating, it's hard, it's humbling. But in the midst of that, we've got to humble ourselves. A humble heart just says, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have all the answers, but I love you, God. I'm surrendered to you. I'm willing to learn. Teach me. In fact, let's go back to James chapter four. And uh, when we get to the red word here, read this out loud with me. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will what? Lift you up in honor. Humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. If you want to be lifted up in your home, you want to be lifted up in your career, you want to be lifted up in, uh, in your job, you want to be lifted up uh, among your peer network. What's the Bible say? Humble yourself. What does that mean? It means that you surrender to God. You walk with an open hand towards God. One of the most powerful ways this idea of humbling myself has, has impacted me as a parent is this. I had to come to a place to really learn to love the kids I have 
not the kids I thought I'd have. I'm going to talk to somebody right now. Because listen, it, we all, whether you admit it or not, have some preconceived ideas about the kids we thought we were going to have. I thought we were going to go, I thought my kids were going to love football because I loved football. I thought my kids were going to be Dallas Cowboys fans because I, because God is a Dallas Cowboys fan. Because everybody is a Cowboys fan. Come on. Like, this is, okay, maybe a little farther. But like, you know, this, I just, I thought we were going to be out throwing the football. We're going to be hanging out. I'm going to be going to games. We're going to be doing all this sport. And then I had these two wonderful kids, a daughter who's a vocal major who loves to sing and loves the arts and a son who wants to play video games all day. So, you know, they don't want to, he doesn't, I'd be like, Hey man, let's go play ball. He doesn't want to go out and play ball. That's not his thing. And you can struggle with that, right? You can push against that, but eventually I got so frustrated, I had to realize I've got to learn to love the kids I have more than the kids I thought I'd have. I got to learn to embrace the kids God has given me, right? Not the ones maybe I, I thought he was going to give me. And a lot of things became beautiful when that happened. Changed my expectations. Stopped asking my son to go out and play ball with me. And instead I said, all right, what do you like to do? I got to get in your world. What do you love to do? He used to let me play video games with him. But lately I'm like, hey, let's play video games. He goes, dad, you just honestly, you just slow me down so much that you're dead weight. I'd rather not. Um, but you want to find something in their life that you can get down on their level. And at different ages, I've tried to do that with my kids. And I, I'll just be honest with you, my 15 year old right now, you know, 15 year old boys are not the most communicate, communicative, right? Like trying to just get them to talk or say anything. You know, I'll try to like have a conversation with my son and he'll give me like a three word answer and he'll say, are we done with the deep talk now? Can we move on? But here's what I discovered, don't tell anybody. He loves food, loves food. And in our house, don't get on to me, parents, but it's a little bit everybody for themselves. You're on your own. So he can cook for himself. He makes his own tortellini. He makes his own grilled cheese sandwiches. He, know, he, he knows how to cook pizza and taquitas and burritos and like a little chef, right? From necessity. But here's what I've learned. There's nothing more irritating to my son than when we don't have food in the house. And if I'll ask him, hey, you want to go to the grocery store with me? He's like, yep. He, he'll even get up dark early in the morning if he knows we're going to the grocery Yeah, man, I'll go to the grocery store. Because he knows if I don't shop, if I don't get to pick my stuff out, they're not going to get my stuff. And then I'm like starving, you know, like not literally starving, but he's very picky. So it dawns on me one day, we're going to the grocery store and he just starts talking. And I'm like holding my breath. Don't move. Don't mess this up communicating with a teenager. That's what's happening right now. We're communicating with a teenager. Anything could happen, right? Come on, parents. You know what I mean? Like it's an open window. Wait for it. And then he talked to me the entire time, walking up and down the grocery store aisle, loading up. And the more he talked, I'm like, you want Cheetos? Cheetos, no problem. You want Fruit Loops? Fruit Loops. I don't care. Talked to me the whole time. We got all the groceries. We checked out. He talked to me all the way back home, and that was it. <laughs> and so about 
Three weeks goes by and I'm like, hey, Ethan, you want to go to the grocery store? Oh, yeah, 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 I want to go to the grocery store. You know, he gets in the car again, talks to me the whole way there. So it might be bizarre, but right now, just between you and me, the only way I can get on my 15-year-old's level is to go to the grocery store with him. So I told my wife, I'm like, hey, don't go to the grocery store. I got it. This is my thing now. This is my thing I do with Ethan. I thought we'd play football together. I thought I could take him fishing. I thought we'd be going on hikes together. No, we walk the grocery store aisles, but look, I'm trying to love the kid I had, not the kid I thought I'd have. I'm just trying to stay in his life at any level that he'll let me, right? Some of you, you thought you were gonna have this extroverted kid who wants to be in everything and is a cheerleader and an athlete and all that, but you had an introvert who just wants to read books and gets bothered by crowds. Some of you, you thought you're gonna have a kid that was like dialed into science and math and that was their thing because that's your thing, but, but they're all about arts and, and, uh, and they're writing songs and poetry. And the truth is we all gotta humble ourselves and say, look, my job as a parent is not to shape my kids into whatever preconceived image I think they should be in. My job is to discover along with them, how has God wired them up? What are the gifts and abilities God has given them? And how can I help them go forward in their gifts and abilities? That's my role. And so when you humble yourself and you have an open heart and you look for those places you can get on, and I'd say this isn't just with kids, I think it with family members and friends, you can get on their level. I believe God will show you those opportunities so that you can pour into their life. So this was graduation week uh, for our family. And my daughter did, she worked really hard and she won several different awards and I was very proud of her. And I had this great moment with her after kind of the award ceremonies were all over and all this stuff was over. You know, she's got all her stuff said, look, when I graduated high school, I, there was no tassels, right? There was no honor band. You know what I'm talking about? Like the people wear, there were no medals for different things. Um, well, there were, but I didn't have any of them. I just had the black robe and nothing. And I was like, it's a miracle, man. They're going to let me graduate. <laughs> so I went up, sat down with her. You know, she's accomplished a lot, right? As an 18 year old, I'm kind of blown away. And I said, Emma, I want you to know something just from my heart to yours. I said, I, I'm really proud of you. These things you've accomplished and these things you've done, I'm super proud of you. But these things only matter to me because they matter to you. You don't have to win a single award for me to love you completely. You don't have to accomplish a single thing. It's impossible for me to love you anymore as your dad than I already do. So you don't need to do this for me. You don't need to do this for your mom. You need to follow your heart and do what God is leading you to do. I'm gonna love you just the same, no matter what. <laughs> love the kids you have, not the ones you thought you'd have. Do good, love mercy, walk humbly. You can get a lot of things wrong. You can mess up a lot of house rules. <laughs> you can make a lot of mistakes. You do some of those simple things right and it can have the biggest impact over the long term. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never really crossed the line of faith in your life. And I'd love to just invite you to enter into a spiritual family, the family of God. You may not have had a good father in your life that was a role model or 
somebody you could look up to, but the Bible says God is the father of the fatherless. God loves his children and is a good father. And by leaning into him, no matter what kind of father you may or may not have had, it can empower you to be a better father and friend to the people around you. So whatever your family situation may have been, I don't know what your mom was like, what your, 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 your kind of family origin is like, but I do know that you're invited by Jesus Christ to come and believe and trust in him and to find forgiveness from your past, your sins, your mistakes, and to just be empowered to love and to live and, and to live your life differently than maybe the life you've experienced up to this point. So if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, I'd love to lead you in a simple prayer to just open your heart and your mind to him today. Would all of you bow your heads and close your eyes? You just repeat after me to say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I want to ask you to just slip your hand in the air. Just to acknowledge before God that you're going to follow him in your life. You're going to trust him. Just slip your hand in the air. If you're at one of our locations, slip your hand in the air. If you're watching online, just slip your hand up. God, I thank you for each person just reaching out to you today. I pray you'll fill them with your love, your purpose, your hope. And uh, God, do a great work in their life as they follow you in faith. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, huge, uh, huge congratulations to those of you across our locations who made spiritual commitments in your life today. We're thrilled for you. We'd love to put some resources in your hands that can help you. And we've created a journal called the New Beginnings Journal. It could just walk you through what it means to be a follower of Jesus over the coming days and weeks. So just go to the New Beginnings area, your location. It doesn't cost anything. It'll just be a gift to you to help you as you follow Jesus in your life. So after service, swing by the New Beginnings area. Well, I'm going to ask you to put your hands together now. And our location pastors are going to come out and talk us through some next steps.